like that tambourine first name. So what happens when you leave uh, instruments lying around the studio before you let me in. Welcome to this, uh, the Red Bulletin Podcast. I'm your host, Andreas Georges. Um, we're talking to uh, top performers in the world of adventure, culture, uh, cult- <laughs> also known as culture, sports and innovation about their path to mastery, the tips and tricks that made them better, the hurdles that they had to overcome on that path. And our hope is that you guys get something out of uh, their journey. Today we have on the program a woman who has probably got the coolest name of any guest we've ever had before, Asia Grazioli Venier of Rome, Italy, transplanted to New York City as a young one, now a citizen of the world, residing in Los Angeles. She's an entrepreneur. She is a digital interactive media guru. She's consulted Spotify and recently in the last year has started her own venture capital firm called Muse Capital, where she makes small strategic investments in consumer facing companies. Um, And I wanted to talk to her about her philosophy of usefulness. This has guided her throughout her career, a career that's crossed the paths of entertainment, tech, sports. Um, She is, we should also mention, the youngest and first female board of directors, uh, member of the board of directors of Juventus Turin. And I wanted to talk to her about how having an open mind and how throwing yourself into something and engaging with it uh, can lead you to great places. Uh, she's a fascinating conversation. Uh, she's full of energy, and she was an absolute delight. Uh, here we go, Asia. So um, let's talk about this idea of disruption because it's such a buzzword. Uh, for you, though, and, and I feel it's overused, right? Do we feel like it's disruption is, is maybe overused at this stage, or do you feel like it's a healthy it's a healthy term for what's going on in our world today? I mean, I think... It's it is overused. So is innovator, innovative, and mm-hmm. innovation. Um, it is overused in a way, but on the other hand, there's no other better way to explain that you're trying to shake things up and change the way that things are traditionally done. So uh, I haven't yet come up with a better word for it. And we're not asking you to. <laughs> <laughs> That's good because I'm going on very little sleep. Yeah. Okay. So so. But disruption for you, even though you probably didn't have the word for it, I'm sure there's Italian word for it too, by the way. But when we, when you were young, you had disruption already at an early age, right? Yeah. You talked about this at one point with your, um, with understanding like how how words are put together and and the struggles that you had with that. Are so. you trying to allude to my dyslexia? No, just um, no <laughs> in I, the most subtle, in, leading, obvious I'm way possible. Pr- I'm very proud of it. Um, no, yeah, I think I started off being. I wouldn't say disruptor, but a rebel just because I was thinking differently and and communicating differently and seeing things differently. And that was predominantly from dyslexia, which is my most favorite quality of myself, actually, um, if I can be so <laughs> humble. Uh, and because it just allows me to look at things differently. So instead of seeing it as a problem or an issue, I actually thought that the best way to innovate or to disrupt is to flip something and flip it upside down and look at it in a different but way. But when were you able to identify it as such, as a trait to be embraced as opposed um, to something? Well, when I was growing up in Italy for the first 10 years of my life, I was called stupid and no one could understand why I couldn't do times tables and why I was struggling with some very basic concepts. Um, even my my family at, mom, at moments were kind of concerned of their child. Uh, and when I went to the States, uh, the first thing they did was interview me 
in um, in middle school schools in New York. And uh, after the interviews, these wonderful teachers went straight to my mother and said, your daughter's brilliant. She's great. But do you know she's severely dyslexic? But they said it with a smile and they said it excited and they said it sort of, did you know? Um, and my mother screamed at the top of, my, of her lungs, I knew it. I knew she wasn't stupid, you know. And I think that's when I realized it was something to to value instead of shun. But that was because the American approach is very much like that. I think the American approach is very much, generally speaking, make the best of what you've got. And it's positive reinforcement as opposed to criticism. That's a great part of the American culture, I think, that you don't really have in Europe as much. And you were 10 years old at that time. Yeah. And where were you? You were in New York? I was in New York, yeah. My education was predominantly from New York. So um, I think the two cultures I had, so... My with in New York with my I was just telling someone the other day about uh, school and if my mother saw me studying really hard and then I took the test and it came back with a C she was thrilled for me because she just thought that the fact that I had committed and studied it didn't she couldn't give a damn about what grade I got as long as I had committed to it and was studying and I tried my best um, and similarly or oppositely she she. Uh, if I got an A for something that I didn't lift a finger on, she would say, you got lucky. You know, that's, she she would not approve of that 100%. Um, so that, the New York upbringing taught me to just work and try to be valuable. Right, um, right. And the value, the value of work, even if it doesn't result yeah. in the ideal result at the end, right? Yeah, I mean, for me, the idea of being, um, when we were talking about it, the idea of, what you're ambitious about. I'm ambitious about being valuable. So it's not some people have ambitions for grandeur or to achieve God knows what and to compete with other people. I just really like the idea of being valuable. And that's interesting. To me, that's that's why I started Muse Capital, the investment fund that we invest in. And it's not just to put money into startups. It's to be valuable in those startups that we're investing in. And um, obviously, hopefully, that value then that gets converted into remuneration because we all deserve to be remunerated for our time and work and and effort. Um, and I'm a big proponent of people speaking up about what they deserve. But ultimately, the driving force is to be valuable, which is just the greatest feeling on earth. So valuable in what sense? Can you define that a little bit more concretely? I mean, you just did it in the sense of like in the business world, right? But yeah. I, I mean, is it also in your relationships? Yeah, is it like, I think, what, How do you define that? I mean, you want to have impact with the people that you deal with every day. I mean, you only have one life, and it's so wonderful to know that you're that you can leave an impact in however small way. It doesn't have to be that you're curing cancer. You're even just making your friend's day a little bit better because you gave them a perspective on a problem that they're having to talking to the founder of a startup you've invested in who's waking up in a panic because something has happened and you just give them a solution that or a piece of advice that you garnered over the years and it flips their entire day upside down in a good way and it turns it around into and they're so grateful to you for for providing that right. value. I mean that doesn't always happen obviously it's not sure. but I I think that's and But even, yeah. but to to see that as an accomplishment in and of itself every day that's that's amazing, right? I mean that's that you must never get bummed out. 
No, but I think <laughs> you're similar to that. I think also, I mean, and you engage yeah. and you care about people. I think it comes from really caring about people and listening to people and uh, just being human. I feel like sometimes we all go through our days just getting our work done and getting through the going through the motion. And I don't know. I'm very in touch with my human side. It's whatever that means. But I, but, yeah. I mean, that must be. It's especially valuable in a there's that word again which we're gonna completely overuse now i'm let's sure but do it. let's disrupt and innovate and value things. you haven't used the word entrepreneur yet not yet not yet <laughs> but um i have a feeling it's coming as we describe your your route but that must be of a special value in kind of a numbers driven business right in yeah. a in a in an area especially in the tech space now where so much is about data, so much is about, you know, having the right numbers, crunching it, yeah, you know, you can quantify it. I mean, it's it. really hard to, to fake value nowadays, right, which is right. wonderful. Right. Um, you've really got to, it's virtually impossible to fake that value. There's data that return that, that responds and tells you how you're doing immediately. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but but you, we we just talked about numbers and, and quantifying things. But how much does the interpersonal matter? Um, because you know they always say you invest in people, you don't invest in companies and stuff. How do you how do you activate that side? How do you achieve the balance between you know uh, being making savvy business decisions? You know, as far as the numbers and the data is concerned, but also at the same time making sure that you're in tune that with the fact that you're investing in someone that you know, you that, need to believe in, right? Yeah. I mean, I've been lucky to have been in this business for 10 years. And when I say in this business, it's media and entertainment and technology. Um, and so I've seen, and I've always been at the cusp of, of startup and, and innovative technologies. Right. Uh, dealing with entrepreneurs. Right, exactly. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, at the beginning it was online video before YouTube even launched. And I kind of, and, and so I was always going from one, uh, innovation after the other. And you learn over time the patterns, generally speaking, of, of what makes a good entrepreneur and what makes, what makes a, a good idea. Um, and oftentimes a great idea, a good idea will become great because the entrepreneur is wonderful. And, and I think in terms of the qualities of that entrepreneur, it's someone who's really honest about his or her, uh, qualities and but also what they're lacking and then they surround themselves with the right people um execution is everything right uh, and i think you know you don't want someone who's too arrogant you want someone who's confident and is full of conviction that's a good word i love that word so much conviction um but and you know there's so many things that are impossible look at spotify I've, I've been advising or until recently advised them for seven years and and the first four years of their life it was they got so many no's and so many Everyone from the music industry was telling them it was impossible, and then they were getting criticized left and right. And but it was thanks to the conviction of the founders and their ability to surround themselves with the right people and and create a team behind them that was really going to trudge through. I think that's that's why people that's why investors bet in them. That's why users bet in them. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I mean that's a good example of of founders really killing it and doing it doing right it and really also say job. i mean conviction i think is an interesting well, word yeah. for you because uh i think it's also it's 
that's what you've needed, right? Yeah. You've needed to get through the obstacles, especially early on yeah. to get to where you're at. So let's, let's talk about that route a little bit as you <laughs> flip the, the paper very elegantly uh, with your left hand. Uh, actually, I don't need to describe these things anymore. I used to have to like do a play-by-play of what the guest was doing. She is itching her nose. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, so how did you, you know, how did you... Did you go? Did you go the traditional route, university? And yeah, and I went to Columbia University in New York. Actually, let me specify Barnard. I'm I am always so used to saying Columbia because in Europe, uh, they don't really know Barnard. It's but right Barnard College at Columbia University. Yeah, it's right across the street. And I'm very proud of it. We get yeah. to take all their courses. They can't take all of ours. Oh, zing! Yes. Uh, no, so I'm a very proud Barnard graduate. Uh, and then I I was an environmental biology major, and uh, I wanted to make documentary films about the environment, but not just from the cam- being the camera operator, but I wanted to be the scientist behind it too and doing all the research. Uh, so I flew to London, and I started creating documentary films for a company that made them for the BBC. And How was, did you get in with that company? Uh, at that point, I was just cold calling, and, and they were looking for... I realized that nobody was looking for a nobody from college. Um, And so I thought, well, what's another way for me to get into this world in a faster way? So I thought, well, editing might work. So I self-taught myself how to edit Final Cut Pro. And, uh, And then only to realize when I was on my way to Europe and moving with all my suitcases that Europe didn't use Final Cut Pro, they used Avid. And then I had to self-teach myself how to use Avid in two weeks because I had accepted a job telling them that I knew how to use Avid and I didn't. So I basically, you know, fake it till you make it. That was kind of my first job. And I was closed in a dungeon with red lights, just editing a three-part documentary on Siwa in Egypt. How did you have the confidence to fake it until you made it? Like it's 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 one thing to say it, but I feel like the ones the the folks who are truly successful are the ones who live that right. Who actually they they fake it and then they they lock themselves up until they know final cut or. I feel it. like my whole life people have said that I couldn't do something, and then I always proved them wrong. I'm not saying I necessarily did it well, but yeah. I always did it. Right. Um. So I'm certainly not going to say or be arrogant saying, oh, I can do anything and I'll be great at it. Um, But the truth is nothing is impossible. Maybe it's impossible to do it perfectly, but nothing is impossible to do, in my opinion. And hopefully over time, that means that nothing's impossible and you'll hopefully do it really, really well. But at the time, I I mean, when you're dyslexic, they tell you, you can't do science, you can't do math. And... I minored in in psychology in in high school and um, and environmental biology in college. I mean, they all told me I couldn't do science, and I did it. And generally speaking, if someone says I can't do something, I'm gonna. Do you gonna try and try prove, and them wrong? prove them wrong? I don't do that yeah. anymore as an adult. Now I just kind yeah. of do what I love. Yeah. And I I enjoyed what I enjoy doing. But I think it, when I was younger, that was fun. That was like, well, I'm gonna show you that I. Yeah, can you do had that. a you had a chip on your shoulder. I wouldn't say chip. No, it was uh, a Was happy... it a flake, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> no, it What's was... the smallest form of a chip? Uh, it I don't was know. A, uh, it was an itch. It was it an wasn't, itch. It was an itch. It, right. was, it wasn't actually something that I need to shake off. It was right. just like a little bit of an itch. Um, but it's funny because people think I'm... They wrongly think that I'm competitive. I'm actually not competitive at all. I like to do my very best, but... I'm not competitive against myself and I'm not competitive against other people. I just think, I mean, as cheesy as it sounds, as long as you're doing your best, 
that's all you can do. Or I've been, I've run a lot of marathons and even that is an example. I never check my time. I don't care if I do better every time that I run. I tend to do better every time that I run, but that's only because I think I'm fitter and I'm running more and I'm loving it. Um, I think the outcome tends to be positive anyway, but my mindset is never got to beat that time, got to beat that person. Um, actually, if anything, if I can give the, the, the attention to someone else, I mean, my business partner, Rachel Springate, she's such a rock star. I can't tell you what pleasure I take in just sitting back in a meeting and watching her do her thing and right. getting all the props. Right. And like, I, I could, I could do that all the time. I can't because I have to pull my weight, obviously, at the company. Yeah. But I'd love just to sit back and just watch her the, do the Rachel show. You could right? be like the hype man on. Uh, yeah, on stage. I could be like the, the yeah, yeah, pom pom girl. The pom pom girl cheerleader. 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 There we go. That's is that, the word is pom pom girl European? <clears throat> uh, I don't know if it's probably just out of your own head. Maybe. Really? I don't know if it no, exists. No, no, no. There must. There's. Pom-pom I think it's a pom pom girl is a European thing. You never heard pom pom girl? I don't think I've ever heard pom pom. I think pom, it's pom, an girl. Italian thing. Though, is it, or That's maybe funny. It, it sounds like it I would mean, pom, sound. Pom pom, you know. And it sounds like with onomatopoeic. It is pom pom. Very good word. You know, That's I'm not a, just not not just blondie here. <laughs> I can use big right. words. That's you right. On onomatopoeic, right? Thank you. So yeah. pom pom girl probably sounds even better in Italian. What would you tell a pom pom girl though? There we go. There we go. So, um, so you, you, uh, so you're like, I'm going to be the best editor I can be. Yeah. And he started editing. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah. Uh, I started editing. Um, and unfortunately, the video never saw the, the light of day because I ended up getting into a very bad accident. I got hit by a taxi in London and oh, pretty much severed my leg below the knee. Luckily, it was below the knee. Um, both, everything was crushed. Uh, but the bone wasn't in the issue, but it was a nerve damage. There was an issue. I had really severe nerve damage. So I basically was flown over to New York and spent a better part of a year in and out of the hospital doing crazy nerve. It was a, a ner- acute nerve dystrophy. So it was a really, really bad. I had, I was with an epidural for eight months, um, Psychologically, was it a big blow to you? Because you were charge, charge, charging right this It point, was right? a blow, but I wasn't really focused on thinking what was happening to me. I was thinking, this hurts. I'm in a lot of pain. Help me. So I really wasn't thinking about what it, the future or I was just in the okay. moment just getting trying to get better. Um, and I just didn't think about any anything else. And uh, had, luckily, I was surrounded by family helping me. And then I went back to London and when I finally was getting a little bit better and didn't need weekly spinal uh, injections. Um, wow, that bad. Oh, yeah, no, no. Because really, to really treat bad. the nerve, you to have to go through damage. the spine. Yeah, they had to do a weekly um, spinal injections. And then one of the craziest things, you know, ketamine? That is yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. That drug you can that get everybody crazy used. addicted to. Yeah. So there's a, uh, there was at the time, I don't know if it still exists, a German experimental treatment for nerve damage, which of is they put German. you in a yeah, they put you in a in the ICU and they overdose you with ketamine. They infuse you with ketamine until the point that you you say to them enough, 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 and then they start weaning you down, uh, and then they see if the pain is still there. And they unplug the the epidural, and they all everyone's just waiting: is is the pain still there? And I had to do that three, four times because the pain kept coming back. Um, but all weird, all kinds of weird stuff. What are was, you like? Did you go down a K hole? 
Like, did you like? <laughs> it how, was a trip. Yeah. Uh, Can you remember? Like, I remember a, seeing things fly, and I remember thinking to myself, "Why would anyone do this recreationally? Right. I just don't get it." Right. Uh, it was awful, and there was someone else doing it too across from me, and I think we were both vibing on this crazy, messed up world yeah. we were living in. But wow. um, anyway, so when I moved back to London. We, I had a brunch with some friends who I hadn't seen for a year, and I was there in my crutches, and a, and a friend of mine, uh, and I said, you know, I just need a desk space. Because by then, the documentary had moved on without me. Obviously, they weren't going to wait for me to recover after a year, and they and uh, actually, they never saw the light of day, unfortunately. Um, but so I had nothing to show for two years' worth of work, well, one year of an illness and one year of the documentary film editing. Uh, and my friend who ran an agency there, in London said, uh, Slice Agency, he said, why don't you come and sit? We've got this new made-for-mobile content company. We're still trying to figure out what that is. We don't really know, but maybe you could just come and help out. And it was a company called Inventa, and what they did was they made made-for-mobile programming for your phone so your phone was preloaded this is way before i uh, smartphones by the way your phone was preloaded and came preloaded with a bunch of little videos that were tiny and impossible to look to on like the clunky on nokia's, the clunky nokia's or, and the yeah. and basically it was it came ericsson was back yeah, then yep, the, yep. The zippo whatever zip motorola yes exactly remember that i mean yep. imagine watching content on that stuff uh right. and so because it was such a new world and no one had ever really done this, no one was right and no one knew, no one was an expert. So I felt really free in that moment to give my opinions and go, well, why don't we do this or why don't we do that? Fast forward literally just a few weeks and I'm running and producing uh, Ministry of Sound on Mobile for this company, uh, Pete Tong's Fast Tracks. Pete Tong was at the time and still is, but at the time a big DJ. Um, and Jamie Oliver's mobile kitchen. And this was Jamie Oliver before he became Hang Jamie on, Oliver. so was this video or was it audio? Video. So, it was, so you would produce video pieces and that what, you would load onto seconds. phones. Yeah, that they were, and, and basically we would create these video pieces. T-Mobile or AT&T would buy the lot and they would preload it onto the phones when you bought them. I mean, this was way before App Store, way before. Um, I don't even know if anyone even looked at that stuff or they even knew that it was on their phone, right. but we produced it. Yeah. Uh, and it was fun. It was it was great. I really, and that's where I discovered, wait, this digital online, this is such a new technology. This is so cool. And it got me really thinking. And that was the the beginning of it all, which is why I'm always so grateful for the accident because I feel like out of that, I wouldn't have had the quote-unquote desperation to to find something else and then just right moment, right time. And I was just so passionate to get back on on track. And I think it was just that's where I found my my calling. Yeah, talk a little bit about that's a you, you just said desperation. That's a really interesting word to use. Um, was it you know was it was it really in a situation where you're like, hey, I'll take anything, or I'll? Do you feel like you were open? You you were opened up a lot more or a lot more oh, receptive wanted, to new stuff. I I as my a desperation was desperate to be valuable. Right. So again, back right. to the the. I mean, it wasn't just give me a job. It was that I wanted. So after a year of being so self absorbed, really, actually, and thinking about your health and getting all what's good for you, what are you eating, what are you taking, what medication. I mean, it's just such a self-centered, self-absorbed year of my yeah. life. Uh, I really craved to create something and 
in effect something and add value somehow. And when I realized that there was that there was no way to be wrong in that scenario because no one had ever done online uh, mobile video really, um, I was able to have free reign to wing it. Um, and I feel like that's my my best is when I'm winging it. Right. Right. Um, when you're in an area that 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 you can be completely free and just throw stuff at the wall and see if it sticks. Yeah. yeah. I think that's also how I work in brainstorming sessions with my clients. I'll just say, "All right, I'm there's there a lot of crap's going to come out of my mouth, but yeah, yeah. there's I'm sure there's some golden nuggets somewhere yeah, there. Yeah, just, yeah. Let's hear me. Let's just get a go at it and let's start sharing and talking about ideas." Yeah. And I think the free uh not free association, but the f- just letting the mind mm-hmm. go where it wants to go and get inspired. I think letting it do that is is important for me and uh winging it is a good environment to do that in yeah where you're kind of there's no right or wrong there's no rule and i think that's probably why i like startups and and innovative companies because there are no rules and you're creating them right you're not creating the rules but you're creating an industry or you're creating a trend or you're creating value so you 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 progressed in a way that was would you say linear or would you say you just i mean because after the mobile company the producing after, the ministry of sound jamie I, oliver yeah. stuff like then, and then you, i and then i got hired by ministry of sound to which was a big record label at the time course, and a yeah. nightclub in europe um and had its own uh label and artists uh they didn't have a digital or a radio or a video proposition. Did you party, by the way? Did you ever, like... I went to a lot of nightclubs and stuff like that. Um, But was it on fact-finding missions? It was more (laughs) fact-finding missions. I am very good at dancing on tables. Yes. And I love dancing, and I'm a super free spirit. I'm not a huge fan of of being out of control, so I've always... Getting hammered. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think one of my saving graces is... And I value it more and more every year is... And we talked about this also when you and I met, is sleep. Right. And rest. Right. I mean, there's just nothing better than getting a good night's sleep. And part of that is what you put in your body, right? I mean, so I mean, well, I mean, we, I were, a cool- like any we other- were a lot cooler. I was a fun. Of years ago. I mean, I, 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 I mean, I, but now I sound like some uptight whore. <laughs> no, I was fun. I danced on a lot of tables and right. I had my fair share of yes. fun nights. Yes. But generally speaking, I'm a daytime person. Yeah. And, and when I went to Ministry of Sound nightclub, it was usually with a camera in my hand or because we, I created TV, radio, and digital for Ministry of Sound. Crazy. So we built a whole crew. Um, that would film interviews with the DJs, which now are humongous. I mean, the Swedish House Mafia at the time were nobody, and I have such incriminating footage of, of, of all of them uh, backstage. But um, that was that was really fun, and and that was the beginning of um, branded content before it was even quantified as branded content. We had a the founder of the company of Ministry of Sound was kind of tough guy, and he was limiting our budget, and I didn't want to ask him for more money because I knew that he had a tendency of pulling projects when he invested too much too soon. So I basically said, don't give us any more money. I'll figure it out. Um, and I just said, as we were producing the video content, I said, who could we get involved? And then I went to Pioneer and I just said, hey, we're doing these video shows for online and we're selling them to YouTube or we're distributing to YouTube. Maybe you want to put your brand on it. And the next thing you know, we are we have all these little mini shows brought to you by Pioneer. And that was before branded content was a thing. Um, so I feel like, and that was, so that was a real fun part of my career where we, we, you start thinking, oh, I can yeah. turn this human behavior and content and then add a revenue 
generating side to it and yeah. it's a full circle. And yeah. so that's really when things started coming together and that's when I started advising for venture capital firms who were investing in this space. Um, and, and was it, and that's really interesting because to me it's not very, um, you know, the, the things that the, the unifying element is that you're not afraid to get into a space you don't know anything about. And you're willing to put in the work to understand that space as much as you can. Yeah, I mean, people always think you're, it's so random. You have a, your careers in music, tech, and sports. Let's say right. music, because Spotify is the thing that I was most most known for. In sports, obviously, Juventus, uh, and tech is just all the other investments that we've done. And everyone seems to think that they're so unconnected. But to me, they all have an entertainment proposition. There's a branding, a sponsorship, a content distribution strategy a human consumer element to it. So there's a lot of those common threads. I want to talk about how you came to be uh, not only the f uh, first female board member, but the youngest board member uh, of Juventus Turin, the global football club, um, through a meeting on a on a train. Yeah, it's such a... I'm, I it's really, a good story. It's such a good story. Yeah. Uh, I am um, so grateful for that story. Um, yeah, I was a consultant at the time. I had pretty much just left Ministry of Sound to start my own consultancy business, advising venture firms and also startups. I was working with brands like Dove to produce their digital content, blah, blah, blah. And I was on the train Gatwick Express from Gatwick, Victoria to the airport in London. And I'm, it's about a 20-minute trip. I don't usually talk to anybody on that train because it's such a short trip. But there's this guy on the other side of the, the train sofa area and he's on his own and he has a hat box. Uh, one of those old-fashioned hat boxes, and I just couldn't help myself. So I said, oh, you're going to a wedding. Is that a hat? And he said, yes, actually, I'm meeting my wife. We're going to a British wedding. You know, we all have to wear those hats. So we have a 15-minute conversation where we, I don't even remember what we talked about, but it certainly wasn't work, and I don't, it, just basic chit-chat. And I, I'm sure I was asking a ton of questions, which is problem I have um, and by the time we got to the airport he was going to the north terminal I was going to the south and we exchanged business cards and that's when as he ran off uh, I saw Andrea Agnelli and obviously that's that's Italian business uh, royalty there that's they're affiliated to the Fiat dynasty and Juventus obviously uh, and he at the, at the time ran and still does an investment fund called Lamze which is a uh, family fund and opportunistic and uh, they don't get involved in media or tech but they got involved in a lot of really exciting and big projects so I was super excited holding this business card going all right I'm just gonna wait four days so I don't look too eager and then yeah. I'm gonna contact him and, yeah. and it's like and, dating right yeah it's like yeah. I'm just I don't want him to, to yeah. uh, and instead I get a call from him the day after he was still at the wedding and said I'm not going back to Italy I'm coming straight back to London I'm having a meeting with you so he comes to the office on Monday uh, with a stack of papers, uh, and they were all pitches, you know, startup companies that were in the digital space that were he had been that had been brought to his attention, and he loves his space. Uh, he's very knowledgeable, and and uh, and I was about to use the word innovative, but right, yeah, he, right. he's definitely he's he an has, entrepreneur. He's an really. entrepreneur. Yeah. He really has an interesting. He's got value. He's got value, <laughs> and he's an entrepreneur, and he likes to innovate or invest in innovative. <laughs> Uh, no, uh, so he came and, and he said, I'll be right back. He, here's a stack of papers and uh, review them. And I was like, okay. He comes back after a few hours and I gave him my input on all these different um, companies. And he basically just said, well, we'd love to be more involved in the digital space. Can we 
can you advise us the fund on everything that's digital and media? So that's what I did for as one of my clients. So we I helped him in the digital space and investing in that for around three years. We never talked about Juventus. It was never brought up. Because uh, he's he's the president of Juventus. He's the current president of Juventus, okay. but he wasn't at the time. His family His had family, just been the, funding. I mean, Juve for I mean, forever, right? Juventus has been a has been run by the Agnelli family for the largest majority of the 120 years of its existence, um, and the, and uh, Exor, which owns Fiat, uh, is the largest shareholder in in Juventus. So it was it's all connected, but he wasn't. He hadn't yet become president of Juventus. I didn't even know he was. It was imminent. It wasn't a conversation. I'm a Juventus fan, but we never brought it up. Um, and then one day he calls me, and uh, we hadn't worked together for a year uh, because I had focused uh, my energy a lot on Spotify by then, and I think he was focusing quietly on on becoming the new president of Juventus. And so we kind of um, took a break for a year to to pursue our own things and. Then he calls me. I was in New York. He calls me and said, I've taken over the, the company and we're, we're redoing the whole board and the executive team and the, and the company needs a rehaul. Would you be on the board? And so I told him I'd think about it, although I knew the answer was yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it wasn't an easy... I mean, That's a little still, bit of a power a, move a, there, wasn't it? But, yeah, yeah. No, you got to be like... I'll you got to be... A, you can't be too available, right? No, no. I mean... Uh, I did have to think about it because it's still it's a public company and it's not as much as it seems like such a fun thing to be involved in, which it is in many respects. It's also a huge responsibility. Right. Um, it's not a toy. So and it's a public company. And um, I had to again, I had to make sure that I was saying yes to something I could actually add value to. Otherwise, I was going to make. A, well, I was just if I can't add value to that, I would have. First of all, I would have represented women in business poorly. I mean, the last thing you want for the, one of the first women on the board uh, to fail. Right, I mean, right. That's not, that's not good like for a, the advancement of women in business, right? So, I mean... Was there trepidation in that? I mean, it, no. entering into this old boys network? No, I was expecting a lot more uh, media resistance, resistance or, uh, uh, or fan resistance, but... Amazingly, it was smooth. Yeah, yeah. I I I attribute that to the fact that I had an international career, and so while I am a hundred percent Italian and I speak the language and I do a lot of business in Italy, I think the in, the Italian community and the business community always saw me as an international businesswoman. I think it added a layer of distance from them to be able to attack me in, is, in a more superficial way. Interesting. Is so, it a credibility thing that you I have think, more credibilities international than, than okay, she's local and I she obviously knew someone? Whether it is more credible or not, yeah. I, I can say, but maybe the perception is that it's more credible. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it maybe they're a little bit more um, resistant to criticize me, the fact that I'm a woman or I'm blonde yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, But so, it was a real nice, nice, I was very happily accepted and and open arms and it's and, been a wonderful family. And you had a lot of opportunity there too because yeah. we, as we talked about previously, you know, that that was a club that went through a real down period, right? It got relegated, there was match fixing scandal, it was kind of slowly rebuilding, but it was it was about kind of injecting fresh energy and a fresh culture into it. Um what did you think needed what what for you through your experience internationally, what for you were are the the ingredients of a very good culture? And how much of that were you able to to inject into Juve? Um, I think a good culture in general is a global approach and just a 
global, not just in terms of geographically, but global, just wide open um, approach, mindset. mindset yeah. Thank mm -hmm. you for. Sorry. Uh, so, yeah, an open mindset to to whatever issue you're you're dealing with, or, or what your company is doing, and where it wants to go. Um, company culture is to surround yourself around with great people uh, and great executives. I think I'm I'm honored to be on the board, and we do contribute a lot, hopefully. But I always say, ultimately, we're so proud of each individual executive who really does all the nitty gritty and all the hard work every day, all the time at the company. We just, you know, they're doing it every day, and those are the people that are the best in their fields and have. I really deserve to have those positions at the company. And I think a good company culture is one that has great people who are good at their job, who are adding value, and therefore they feel valuable. They're remunerated accordingly, and everyone is working together towards the same goal with conviction. Right, right. You know, back to that's another word. And did you have... <laughs> that's another did you, use of the word. Did you have that at, at Juve at the time? I mean, was it... We or created was it, it. Andrea created, created it. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't. I don't know what it was before. Yeah. I can imagine, but I, yeah. I can't say. Yeah. And all I can say is Andrea, or the president, is a man of conviction, and he knows what he knows, and he knows what he doesn't know, and he's very good at surrounding himself with the right people. He yeah. loves the company like it's another piece of you know another limb. Sure. There's love there and passion for for the history and what it represents and um it's hard though there's so many egos oh, right yeah so many egos i mean you've got oh, yeah. you've got the executive level you've got the coaching staff you've got the players you know i mean that's that's a lot to kind of like manage, manage. and to to understand well, how to tweak and but it is a lot to manage but when the at the helm there's someone that ultimately everybody respects uh then that's that's key because then that per we're all human, so we all can make mistakes, and there are all kinds of yeah mistakes that we make all the time. The team makes, I make, we all make mistakes. Yeah. Ultimately, if you respect the person that is making those mistakes, right, right, you'll allow them to have that yeah. um, that space to do that and to also be successful and to. So I think yes, there are a lot of egos in anything, and certainly in sports. But when you've got a visionary president who's leading. The way and you respect how he thinks and and how he's approaching it, and you respect his intentions, and you respect his business acumen, uh, and you respect him as a human being. Yeah, uh, that's that that does a lot. That's that really ties in all the egos to make them yeah. work and roll in the same direction. I think. What did you learn about yourself in that environment, in the sporting environment, which had been a new one to you? Um, what kind of you know you're you're so good at kind of identifying skill sets that you lack and then improving upon that like how how did you what what did you need to work on entering that world or what did you need to be aware of and focus on that that um, you hadn't experienced well I, it was i had to balance knowing that i that that i deserved to be there and that there was a lot i could contribute to the team and that I, a lot i wanted to contribute and a lot of the reasons why i'd been asked to be there and that i i knew i had to go in believing that there was that there was a purpose for me to be there. And at the same time, I had to accept the fact that I was nervous. I mean, it's a huge responsibility, and it was I didn't know anything about the sports business. I know a lot about sponsorship and marketing and ticketing and all that and all the elements that come together to create the sport business, but ultimately it was my first time really diving deep into it, and I had to accept that and and be humble to it and admit to it publicly to, to the to the board members, I didn't need to because I think they kind of assumed it and they were okay with it, but I basically just wanted to learn as much as I could. So it's finding that balance of admitting 
where you still need to learn, which is an everyday process. Uh, and then also, but at the same time, that doesn't negate the fact that you can be really good at something and you can add value. So I can right. be both a work in progress and also a rock star at the same time. Right, right, right. right. And those two can coexist. It's hard. It is hard. Well, That's I mean, hard. But you, at the end of the day... You wing, I mean, you, 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 you figure it out. Nothing's impossible at the end right. of the day. I mean, you, you figure it out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you're around really, really good people. I think also if you, when you've been injured or, you know, I had my illness and then, then uh, I mean, more recently I had breast cancer. Oh. Um, did we never talk about that? I, I mean, this is the first I've heard about oh, really? it. So maybe you communicated to me in your head in, some at one point uh, and I didn't receive I think, it. But. I think there's been a lot of uh, little illnesses and and in, and interruptions throughout my career which could have led to the collapse of my career or to or my mood or yeah. just would have taken me down a certain path and if and, and actually to me it's actually propelled me to all the all the greater moments in my career I think came out of some illness or something so I I think dyslexia brought me to an awareness of where how my mind thinks my accident when I was younger brought me to that digital media yeah. job and then I had all these work experiences and then recently uh, just about a year and a half ago uh, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and it was all very last just really surprising um, and it was in that throughout that process and I had a double mastectomy and, and it was a six-month ordeal uh, yes on one hand it was really shocking and and all of that but actually i keep i mean i'm smiling like an idiot yeah. but I, I it was one of the best things that's ever happened to me weirdly because it focused it allowed me to sit with my best friend and someone whom i had worked with rachel and sit down and plan what is now muse capital which is our investment fund and our um consultancy arm and i have never been happier in my life professionally and uh i think I, we built that while I was sick, while I was full of tubes and uh, and. Why, why did you Why did you want to work on it when you were being treated? Um, because it's so exciting. I mean, I didn't yeah, want to be so focused. I mean, you're. Fo I mean, you're. You're so. It's such a self centered position. I mean, I've, you've got the tubes. You've got your parents. You know, my mom was cooking for me, making bread and this and that, and everyone's doting and flowers and all that. And it's so sweet and so wonderful to feel loved and taken care of. And I'm not some toughie that denies you know I, mean, I was fully going yeah. through something but it's also really great to still tap into that inspired mindset and just because you're going through something physical doesn't mean that you can't be in, still inspired for something moving forward so i don't know it just kind of do, do the bumps in the road and by bumps i mean they're, they're serious bumps you know Oy. Well, i mean there was there was there were a lot of bumps it was bumps, right there, there was and there all, were a lot of bumps there, there was, was a lot of cancer bumps and there was a lot of cancer bumps so <laughs> those those um do, i mean do they do they almost get more manageable the more it comes out? i mean was there a certain sense of like oh i've been here I before got this. you know i got this because dyslexia yeah. because yeah. you know a year in hospital essentially um you yeah. know when you're in your or 20s or being thrown into Juventus uh, right. board seat i mean just i think it's not just the illnesses it's just every kind of throwing yourself in a situation that you're not comfortable with or that you're not accustomed to that can happen yeah. with illness and that can also happen with a new business endeavor yeah um and knowing already that you've got the qualities 
to be able to overcome whatever that is. And it all sounds so cheesy and these created phrases, but it's so true to me. I feel really strongly about um, nothing's impossible and you've kind of, you've got this. And right. And you make the best of every situation. You're you're 37 years old now, uh-huh. which is like a stupendously ridiculous age given all the stuff you've stupendously accomplished. Stupendously ridiculous. Stupendously ridiculous. ridiculous. I don't think those two words have been I used together. I love that. Hashtag stupendously ridiculous. <laughs> I'm sure that one will get um, misspelled a lot. But, uh, now stupen- the show's going to get a lot of viewership because uh, you said that. Did you just, this is the benefit hashtag. of having a digital media strategist <laughs> on our digital only <laughs> podcast. Um, so, uh, you know, what what do you still need to learn? What do you need oh to get better God. at? What are you what do you identify as like things that okay, I see you've gotten this far on this, but you really need to learn more about oh this? Oh my god, there's so much. Mm-hmm. Um I'm learning right now how to quiet my mind. I'm I've I've become a medit I've gotten into transcendental meditation, the David Lynch Foundation. Uh, it's something that I'd been wanting to get into for a while. I tried all kinds of meditation, um, and I couldn't pick it up. And then this one really blew my mind. Um, so I, there's an element of part of always working and coming up with creative ideas and all this stuff. There's a it's, there's a great side to that, and there's also a detrimental side, which means you can't shut off your brain. Right. And trying to add some more peace to my life. Um, and it's not that my thoughts are not peaceful. It's just that there's there's they're active. It's busy, and I think it's it's toning down that activity when when I need to. And so meditation's helping with that. Sleep is helping with that. So I think quieting the mind and being a bit more present and in the moment. Um, I'm learning that. Uh, and this is the first time that. So I've been involved with venture, and I've been advising venture, but this is the first time that I've running my own venture fund. Yeah. Um, so there's a learning curve with that too, where I'm very confident on some aspects of it and there's other aspects of it that I'm learning every day, which I wouldn't want any other way. So, I mean, there's a learning curve every day. I'm learning all kinds of uh, different approaches to investing and, and I'm, we've only been running for eight months and we've invested in seven great companies and I'm sure we're going to see a lot of those do well and a lot of those not do well. And right. I'm kind of looking forward to the lessons that will come out of that. Yeah, the whole failure thing is important, um, right? But I mean, God, I mean, I, I, we all fail all the time. Right, you know? sure. It, it's learning from it, right? Yeah. Asia, grazie, Olivier. Thank you very Andreas. much. Andreas. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Asia, grazie, venir. Any excuse, really, to say that name. Thank you very much. Thank you to First Name James, the first name in podcasting, our engineer, our producers, T. Rizza, associate producer, Ryan the Turbo Thurban, Unique Monique, and Nicole, don't call me Steve Buscemi, is handling our socials. And also a special shout-out to Melissa Thompson, our marketing guru, and Andy Walsh director of high performance at Red Bull who made the introduction at Asia. All right, guys, see you next time.